1: Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Mississippi State University Center for Distance Education, providing online programs and certification at the graduate and undergraduate levels. Distance at State, even there you're here. More information at distance.msstate.edu.
0: Good morning. It's 830 on Thursday, April 19th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we'll hear from Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman as Mississippians near and far prepare to vote. Then Republican candidates are vying for leadership roles as they take the stage for primary debates. Plus, reenactors and historians from around the country are in Mississippi to channel the lives and labor of slaves. We'll tell you where to see it. And in our book club, Robert F. Kennedy, more than 50 years ago, went on a fact-finding mission in search of extreme poverty. It's the story of how he found it in the Mississippi Delta. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippians are gearing up for high profile elections this fall. With U.S. Senate and congressional seats up for grabs and some local positions as well, candidates will be pressing to gain votes. Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman has answers for voters' questions about registration deadlines and primary election rules. He's also pushing to ensure thousands of Mississippi National Guard members and other deployed service members know when to vote as absentee. Secretary Hoseman says his office is sending 4,000 wallet-sized cards with voting deadline information to active members of the military. He tells us how the initiative was started.
2: About eight years ago, Karen, I complained that military overseas voting were not receiving their ballots, weren't casting their ballots. A very small percentage of them are actually voting, like less than 10 percent. And I, I just thought that was atrocious. It didn't make any sense to me that they'd be all over the world and defending our freedom. And and our right to go cast a ballot, and then they don't vote. So I ended up complaining too loudly, I think. The Department of Defense took me to uh, Kuwait, Iraq, Afghanistan, and then back to the hospital in Germany where our wounded warriors come, visiting with soldiers and sailors and women, getting, getting them to vote for President of the United States at that particular time. And that just instilled in me this, that we need to continue that process couple of weeks ago, we sent over 3,000 Mississippians to Fort Bliss and then to Kuwait, and they're going to the Syrian-Turkish border. So we we are now uh, have over 3,000 Mississippians there, and I, I went to those send-offs where you go to the armory and, and you meet with their moms and their wives and their children, and they're they're leaving for 14 months, and so we prepared these cards for these individuals to vote, and we gave every one of the 3,200 of them these cards. And there are others over there in addition to the 155th will be receiving these cards to cast a ballot. And then also in November, on November the 8th, we were putting a yellow ribbon on every precinct in Mississippi to remind people that they can get in their truck and go down there and spend five minutes to vote when there's somebody in a sand dune or a Humvee or a tank somewhere uh, in harm's way. And I just think it's like they leave and we don't know they're gone. And when they come back, we expect them to have not have faced any of the trauma of war or anything else and just to assimilate themselves again. And we just need to remember that that's very difficult and what their sacrifices are.
0: How do they do it, the actual process of well, voting?
2: Well, we're one of the leading states in that. We vote electronically. So they, they can get on, give their uh, the required number. They get a ballot sent to them. Uh, you can go and you all vote. They'll log in. The ballot, as if they were right there in Vicksburg or right there in Laurel, the ballot will come the same way. So they'll be able to vote for the congressman or woman of their choice in addition to a local elected officials if there are any on the ballot. The same as the precinct they would be living in before they left. They then scan that out. They sign it electronically now. We're one of the first states that allows them to sign electronically, send it back, and the circuit clerk will actually put it in the the precinct just as if they walked in the door.
0: Let's talk about the elections themselves and some of the deadlines coming up. We have the primary, the party primaries in June, and then the general election in November. Now, are the party primary elections conducted by the parties themselves?
2: Yes, they are. And that's sometimes with mixed success. We have had discussions about the government, the state taking over party primaries, and uh, I have resisted that.
0: Can you vote if I if someone's a Democrat, can they vote in the Republican primary and vice versa?
2: You can. There's no party registration in Mississippi. You can go vote for who you want to.
0: And then whoever wins those elections will determine who the candidates are for the November general election.
2: That is correct. In in the case of uh, Senator Wicker's current seat and in the case of the four congressmen and women, the other seat, the seat vacated by Senator Cochran, will not have a party primary and there'll be no designation of party on the ballot in November for them. And there may well be a runoff.
0: That special election coincides with the general election. But as you said, the general election has party affiliations, whereas the special election does not.
2: That's Correct.
0: I see that absentee balloting begins on April 21st. Is that for the primaries in June?
2: It is, and that that applies to the uh, overseas military and overseas voters. They get an extra 15 days. Everybody else's absentee ballots start up 30 days before or it'll start on uh, May the 6th. Actually.
0: What are the deadlines if you want to register to vote in the primary?
2: 30 days before the election.
0: May 7th would be the deadline on that. And is that the same for the general election a month before? Yes, it is. Does your website have information yet about the ballots coming up, or is it too early for that?
2: No, we we create the ballots here very shortly. They'll be sent out to all the circuit clerks. The circuit clerks actually create the ballots locally on local issues. As I said, there may be a judge. There's a member of the House of Representatives that may be on the ballot on occasion, that kind of thing. All of those will be done at the local level, and those ballots will be printed out by the circuit clerks for each county. Uh, so we're waiting on, we'll wait on those to come along, and you can, you can get from the circuit clerk that, that, that information.
0: If someone's listening and they have a loved one deployed overseas, what do yep. they need to do? Has, has, is it guaranteed that their loved one's going to get that card in the mail so they'll know what to do election-wise?
2: They, each one of them have been given the card, uh, 3,200 of them have, have been given the card. That doesn't mean that they don't lose it or something happens to it. So the best way to do that is to uh, email them and say, don't forget to vote. We want you to cast your ballot. And that right now, most of them are at port bliss and will be there probably another couple of weeks, two or three weeks in their final training before shipping overseas. And, um, you, you can contact them by email. They'll all have their emails going and whatnot. Tell them don't get to vote, and if they want to get a ballot, just go to y'all vote uh, at sos.ms.gov and encourage your family members to go there. And, and it, it quickly shows you how to get an absentee ballot as a service man or woman.
0: Secretary of State Delbert Hosman, thank you so much for being with us.
2: Just want everybody to remember that freedom is not free. And there are people fighting for your freedom today and will be for the next year. Their sacrifices are ones that we ought to honor by casting a ballot.
0: Absentee voting starts on Saturday. Ballots are due on election days, June 5th for party primaries, November 6th for the general election. Here in Mississippi, Republican candidates are on the stump this week, ahead of the June 5th primary in Mississippi's 3rd Congressional District. MPB's Mark Rigsby was at a debate last night, sponsored by Americans for Prosperity Mississippi.
3: All six Republican candidates who hope to replace retiring Congressman Greg Harper agree on a few things. They favor repealing Obamacare, controlling federal spending, and removing government from people's everyday lives. But they don't agree on who should represent Mississippi in Congress. Madison Rankin County District Attorney Michael Guest says he has the experience to do the job.
2: What I try to tell people now is I have a proven record for fighting for the people of our district, and that I want to take my experience as a prosecutor and go to Washington D.C. and fight for the people of 3rd Congressional District and fight for our principles and our values.
3: The candidates made their best pitches to voters during the debate held at the Mississippi History and Civil Rights Museums in Jackson. State Senator Sally Doty of Brookhaven is one of three women in the race.
0: I have a track record of passing good conservative legislation and so that is why I want to make the step and I have the skills to go and be effective for our district on day one.
3: Whit Hughes is a former deputy director of the Mississippi Development Authority. I want to go there, and I want to make a difference on, on issues like jobs. Uh, let's have a stronger economy, lower taxes, fewer regulations. Uh, let's let's have immigration reform and secure the border. We've got to get control of our debt and our spending. Covington County businessman Perry Parker, businesswoman Morgan Dunn, and educator Catherine Tate also participated in the debate. Mark Rigsby, MPB News.
0: Coming up in our book club,
3: Robert F. Kennedy's search for extreme poverty more than 50 years ago.
0: It's the story of how he found it in the Mississippi Delta. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
1: A pattern of sexual assault against immigration detainees by those charged with protecting them.
0: 59% of the
4: allegations identify an officer, so that's an ICE staffer or a contractor as the alleged perpetrator.
1: Investigating rampant abuse in ICE detention centers, that's next time on The Takeaway from WNYC and PRI, Public Radio International.
5: Today at 2 on MPB Think Radio.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Author Ellen Meacham is a longtime resident of Mississippi. She has been a working journalist for more than 20 years and a journalism instructor at her alma mater, the University of Mississippi. Prior to that, she worked as a news reporter in North Mississippi and at The Post and Courier in Charleston, South Carolina. Her experience as an award-winning newspaper reporter and researcher in Southern Studies shape her perspective on the culture and people of the Mississippi Delta. Meacham is the author of Delta Epiphany, Robert F. Kennedy in Mississippi, which tells the story of then-Senator Robert F. Kennedy's visit to Mississippi as part of hearings on poverty in 1967. She says his experience inspired and informed his conversion to a reform-minded leader. She tells us about the origins of his mission.
6: There was initially a hearing in Washington, and Marion Wright, who was a young NAACP lawyer, came to testify about Head Start and some other programs as one of these initial hearings. And she kind of went off topic. She answered the questions about Head Start, but she just looked at him very straightforwardly and said... People in Mississippi are hungry. They don't know how they're going to get through the winter. We don't know how we're we're going to feed people. Some of the changes in the farming practices meant that many of them had lost their their jobs in the fields, and there was just nothing for them to do. And she said, look, they're hungry. Someone needs to do something about it. And she was very direct. So the committee decided to schedule. They were going to schedule several hearings around the country, and so they picked Mississippi as the first one. Kennedy had been a prosecutor. He was also a rich man's son who was used to people trying to manipulate him into thinking one thing or another, and he wanted to make unscheduled stops. And He would see a house or shack on the side of the road, and he'd say, let's stop here, and he would knock on the door and ask questions. He didn't just want to be led around by activists to places they only wanted him to see.
0: Can you share the the story of him and the little boy he spoke to?
6: That was kind of the impetus, really, for the whole book. As they went from house to house in Cleveland's sort of the worst, poorest part of town uh, on the east side, they stopped at a home, and um, Kennedy had asked that the television cameras stay out and the photographers stay out, but some of the print reporters went on in. And as Marion Wright and Senator Joseph Clark, who was with him, talked to Miss Annie White, who had had six children there, and she had a, um, a toddler and a three-month-old baby. And then her older children were eating cornbread and rice when Kennedy came in, and Kennedy actually gave them a 50-cent piece with his brother's picture on it. And that was more money than they had ever seen, so the older kids got up and ran off to the store and, or you know and had to spend on what they wanted to spend it on. but the the toddler was there, and he wasn't concerned about anything except for you know just one each crumb of cornbread or rice or beans that he could find and he he was just picking those crumbs off the floor and eating them and Kennedy. Whose attention was always drawn to children, he had ten of his own at that time, he started to as he often did started sort of talking to the child and he he squatted down and went down to his level and um, was trying to get the child to respond but the child 's very lit, listless focused only on those crumbs. Um, Kennedy could look at his body and see that there was evidence of um, malnutrition. You know, Kennedy had a had a son that was almost the same age, and he could tell that there was a vast difference. And um, he was deeply touched and moved and concerned for this child and the other children that he saw.
0: Was he um, completely shocked by what he saw? Was it a complete surprise to him? It
6: was. I think it really was. He told one of his aides that he had seen poverty like that, but not in America.
0: So he goes back to Washington, D.C. Then what happens?
6: For him, it was a very simple kind of equation. It's like children are hungry. American children are hungry. They don't get enough to eat. We should fix that. We're a wealthy country. We should fix that. In Washington, it was much slower to try to address it than he expected. And in Mississippi... Initially the officials reacted very defensively and antagonistically. White Mississippi officials did not like the Kennedys and reacted very harshly. But the governor even though he made some really awful statements, he also commissioned a because it started bringing attention to it, commissioned a study and found much of the, on the health of children, found much of the same problems and so there was some incremental changes behind the scenes, I think a lot of Mississippi leaders sort of looked around and said, oh, wait a minute, you know, there is, some, there is a real problem here. So there was a much more attention nationally to the issue of hunger versus poverty, and it shifted the discussion, and there were things, changes in food stamps that came several years later where you didn't have to buy them anymore. You could get waivers if you had no income but just raising the attention to the issue and and pointing out that, you know, not all of America was sharing in this post-war prosperity.
0: Ellen Meacham is an award-winning journalist. She teaches journalism at the University of Mississippi, and the book is called Delta Epiphany, Robert F. Kennedy in Mississippi. Ellen, thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you so much. Glad to do it. Glad to be here. Coming up, reenactors and historians from around the country are in Mississippi to chat on the lives and labor of slaves. We'll tell you where to see it. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: Hi, I'm Marshall Ramsey. There's nothing like sitting down with a good cup of coffee and having an interesting conversation with someone you admire. Our guest this week is the host of MPB Southern Remedy, Dr. Rick DeShazo.
2: That was the first time I really understood health disparities because we've got societal issues and racial issues pancaked, right and And
1: that makes it very difficult. Sundays at five thirty and Thursdays at ten on MPB.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Behind the Big House tour is uncovering the truth about slavery in Antebellum, Holly Springs. Beginning this Friday, local and national reenactors and historians are channeling the lives and labor of the enslaved. Inside the slave quarters behind the historic Hugh Craft House, Tammy Gibson will be interpreting the routine of a laundress. She tells MPB's Ashley Norwood about her research into her role. Well, basically, it took me, um, as
5: far as learning about the enslaved women, um, was to do my research. Um, not only going through books, but actually going to plantations and to see um, the slave cabins. And when you talk about the history of slavery or black history in general, it's assumed a male history. And it fails to acknowledge the role of the enslaved women because enslaved women had so many roles. They were um, field slaves, house slaves. Um, wet nurse, midwives, laundress, they had so many responsibilities on the plantation to help generate economic wealth, not only to the family that enslaved her, uh, but to, to the U.S. economy. And most of these plantations, the women outnumbered the men. So the women played a really crucial, important role that sometimes is sometimes ignored or, or not even talked about.
4: With you working specifically with the laundress um, talk about that one part one part there
5: well it was a difficult difficult job um you look at today you can um you know wash your clothes in a wash and dryer and today they have combos where you can wash and dry at the same time but with the laundress they started their day like at four thirty in the morning and it was completely impossible for one woman to do that job um they had to be um, a couple of women to work washing clothes. The steps to washing clothes back in that time was batting, boiling, washing, rinse, and dry. So those were the five steps that a laundress had to do to wash clothes. Um, they usually wash clothes on a Monday because the um, her her slave owners would have gatherings, dinner, and parties during the weekend. So that was the uh, the, the good time for the laundress to wash clothes. Um, Sometimes she would have her children help as well as far as um, fetching water um, at a river or a well. Sometimes they weren't close around, so they would have to walk a mile to the river to get water. So she would have her her children go back and forth to get water to wash clothes. So this is uh, actually a difficult task for for the laundress woman to do.
4: So why is it important um, to highlight uh, the role of the laundress and also just the role that women played uh, during that time? Why is it important to have that conversation and to interpret it for programs like the Big House today?
5: The times I've been to the Behind the Big House, there was not really anything about women. Maybe they have done it prior to me going there, but the three times I, I've attended the Behind the Big House, didn't really see anything pertaining to the women. And I think it's really crucial and important for people to understand the roles that the, you know, the, that the enslaved women play. I mean, they played so much to that big house for it to function and for it to generate um, economic wealth. So it's very important.
4: Tammy Gibson, a Black History Travelist, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much.
0: Event organizers say they hope it will begin a more honest dialogue about the difficult lives of enslaved people. Chilius Carter is president of or, of preservation group Preserve Marshall County. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood about the tour and location.
7: We put together the Behind the Big House program back in 2011. Did the first one in 2012 with the intent as it this being a pilot program uh, a template that was not unique to Holly Springs. Uh, any town, community, historic site that recognizes the need for retooling their historical narrative uh, to one that is more accurate, more complete, uh, more inclusive, and also uh, uh, upon recognizing that need. They have the political will to do it, okay. And so that's what we're doing. We're offering up an option to people, visitors to Holly Springs, uh, to um, to learn about you know the, the, this other side of the interbellum culture, the people who made that possible. Okay.
4: So tell me a little bit about the houses. Um, how many how many houses are a part of the tour? and a little bit about each of them, kind of what you know makes them different from one another, or how are they connected?
7: We have in the past focused on three sites, and this year we're focusing on one site and doing one site thoroughly because uh, one comment we uh, got often in our evaluations was that uh, they would like to know more about how the slave dwellings in the, in the main house, sort of how they work together. And when you're trying to move people from one site to another, it's kind of difficult to give that sort of, uh, I guess you might call that immersion of, uh, of historic interpretation. And uh, so uh, our site this year that we're focusing on is the Hugh Craft House and its attendant uh, slave quarters and kitchen. And uh, the Hugh Craft House was built in 1851. Uh, and uh, its uh, slave quarters and kitchen uh, were, from all of, is, uh, uh was built uh, prior to that, probably circa 1843, to serve a house that was here before and uh, that was taken down when Mr. Kraft uh, came into ownership of this property in 1850 and built in the house you see now.
4: Julius Carter, president of the Preserve Marshall County and Holly Springs Incorporated, thank you so much for your time today.
0: No, Thank you very much. More information on the program is available at PreserveMarshallCounty.org. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at nine o'clock, it's Creature Comforts at ten o'clock season pass. And at eleven o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. If you miss part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at MPBonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play Stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio.
1: Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Mississippi State University Center for Distance Education, providing online programs and certification at the graduate and undergraduate levels. Distance at State, even there you're here. More information at distance.msstate.edu.